Good morning, everyone. From my side, a warm welcome. I'm so glad that you have joined us today as we wrap up our series called The Spirit, a series in, a series in which we said, let's break the box that we often put the Holy Spirit in. Let's break that open because most of us, if you grew up in church, you have a very specific idea of who the Holy Spirit is based on the tradition you grew up in. And if you didn't grow up in church, you might have an idea of who is based on what other stuff has taught you about a force in nature or whatever it might be. And we said, we want to find out who the Bible says the Holy Spirit is and not what our preconstructs of Him might be. And I was just thinking as I'm preparing for this last message in the series, a message of four, so if you've missed, by the way, go and catch up online. I was thinking of a moment the other day when we were busy with the cleanup in the play park here behind the church where our kids play, and there's some garden beds, and it was overgrown with weeds. So I'm busy there this Saturday morning with a garden fork trying to... Um, to just get all the weeds out, and Nancy's pulling out as I'm, as I'm busy with the fork. And then Brian walks over, and he's like, listen, have you ever heard of a rototiller? I'm like, what on earth is that? A cultivator. It's, and he brings out this thing with claws, and it's like digging out the soil. And I'm like, man, that made my life so much easier. He's just turning over the soil that I was busy with for hours. He's doing like a couple of minutes, right? And it made me think of my bicycle. I cycle to church every day with Abigail on the back, but I don't work super hard because it's an e-bike. So I still put in a little bit of work, but I don't feel the weight of the battery and of the motor and of Abigail on the back because the motor actually helps to propel the bicycle forward. And the other day I forgot, on Thursday I forgot to check the battery. So Friday, <laughs> Friday five minutes before school starts where we leave home because it's a three-minute cycle, right, with the, the battery in working condition. I'm literally turning the corner from the house dead. And I'm like, this bicycle got so heavy. Like suddenly I feel this weight and I'm going from 30 kilometers an hour to 20 to 16 to 14. And I'm like, it's so hard when you don't have the power of that battery behind you. When you have to do all the work yourselves. And I, I'm a pretty fit guy, but my quads were on fire and I'm blaming it on Abby, my four-year-old. She's heavy, okay? But it was so much harder to try to clean that garden in my own power. It was so hard to, to cycle um, on my own without the backing of that motor. And I realized for a lot of things in life, it works exactly the same way. We live in a world where we are so used to creating technologies that makes life simple, whether it's your dishwasher, an e-bike, a rototiller. But then when it comes to the hard stuff in life, where I struggle with sin in my life, when it comes to something like unforgiveness, um, when it comes to emotional issues I have to deal with, spiritual things I need to work with, these things that are actually heavy in life, a marriage or a relationship that's falling apart, suddenly... I don't have the help of a battery or a machine, and I feel like I have to deal with it all on my own. And we will often say stuff like in the motivational world, if you've ever been to a motivational speech or something, just rise above it, right? You, you've got the ability to conquer it. And I'm like, seriously? Like, if we had the ability to conquer it, our world wouldn't be in a state it is in. But we struggle with it because it's hard to deal with these things on our own. And my question is, what if we didn't have to? What, what if we could have a helper that in the darkest moments of our life, the, 
the hardest moments of our lives, the moments where we really struggle with things, what if we had an helper that in those moments of life could carry me through it? And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is. Jesus said, I will send you an, a helper. I will send you the helper to help you, to carry you through these things. And I want to tell you, if, as a Christian, if you say yes to the Holy Spirit, He is there to help you beyond your power, beyond your ability, and He becomes like that battery in my e-bike for our lives. He gives us the ability to face things that we could never face on our own. And if you're not a Christian today, I think this will be so encouraging to you because maybe you've been in that place where you've been trying to do it all on your own, and, and many of us are there, even Christians. But today you will hear who the Holy Spirit is and what He can do in your life. And I hope that whether you're a Christian, that this will move you closer to the Spirit, that you will trust Him more. And if you're not a Christian, I hope that this will move you to a place where you say, I need this in my life, I can't do this on my own. But our topic today is in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to do a quick recap before we read. The first week we said, who's the Holy Spirit? He's not a force. He's not an energy. He's not a creation. He's God himself living inside of us. The second week, we said once we receive, we receive the, the Holy Spirit, once we accept Jesus, and he's with us, as long as we follow Jesus, he's always with us, but we can pray for a fresh infilling. The Bible says to fan into flame, right? We can pray for more of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but we can also, the third week we said, work against the Holy Spirit by allowing sin in our life to, to just run rampant by not paying attention to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, we can work against them. But if we really trust God and we pray for more of the Holy Spirit and we get rid of some of the things that's working against the Holy Spirit, we can get to a place where we can live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And today I want to read for, to us from Romans 8. I'm going to start at the second part of verse 9. You can actually go, I want to challenge you to go and read the whole Romans 8 at home. It's a beautiful chapter about the Holy Spirit. But we're just going to read a couple of verses from verse 9b to verse 11. This is what Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says, you, these are Christian people that love Jesus, you are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised, and I want you to really hear these words, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. I don't know if you've ever pondered the weight of this statement. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says, lives in us if we believe in Jesus. This is not just a little God. This is not just an energy. This is not just a small spirit. This is the God who conquered death himself. The final end to everything. The one thing that us as humans that we can never figure out, that we can never make a change to is death. And the God who has conquered death lives in us. 
And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is or your history or your background or the language you speak. If you believe in Jesus, the same spirit that rose him from the dead lives within you. And here is the beauty. He's not just living within us, but he is empowering us. In Acts 1 verse 8, before Jesus ascends to heaven, hear what Jesus told the disciples. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. So not just is he living in us passively, but Jesus said, listen, there is stuff that I've called you to do as my disciples that you will be incapable of doing. So he literally tells them, go and wait for the Holy Spirit. Because once you receive the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, he will empower you with that same power to be witnesses to me. And I want to hang on that word for a moment, the word that says he... We will be filled with power. We will receive power. And I want to ask you, where is you, if you just think of your life, where's your power level at this morning? Okay, are, are you at a place where you say, like, I've got all I need. Life is kind of like a downhill stroll for me. There's a spring in every step. I'm always joyful. You know, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I'm guessing that most of you would not be there at that place this morning. Most of us would say, I kind of feel like my power level is running a little low. I feel a little depleted. I feel a little empty. I feel like I can do with with a bit of of a power-up, right? I'm struggling with stuff that life is throwing at me. I've been trying to rise above it. I've been trying to handle things, but I just can't. And here's the problem. I think so many Christians... Live a powerless life, not because you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. But I think we live powerless lives because we haven't surrendered to this Holy Spirit. We rather try to fix stuff ourselves and then in prayer tell God what we've done. Tell God how we're going to sort it out. Or even give Him advice how He should do it for us. I think we often live powerless because we haven't surrendered to him. I want to tell you today, you don't have to walk this path alone. You don't have to carry the weight of life on your own. You are not intended to bear all of it on your own. That's why Jesus sent his spirit, and you don't have to. You can live in his power. And the Bible makes it so clear. There's hundreds of references to the, to the Holy Spirit, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit more than almost any other topic that he spoke about. And I'm like, why is there an emphasis on the Holy Spirit in the Bible, which is, by the way, not always in, in our churches. I believe there's an emphasis on the Holy Spirit because God doesn't want a bunch of powerless, stressed out, worn out disciples followers of him, representing him in this world. I believe it's time for Grace Church. I believe it's time for Christians to not only enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit of God himself that's with us, but to experience the vigorous life that he offers us. The all-powerful Holy Spirit the one who raised Jesus from the dead, the one who conquered death, wants to empower you and he wants to empower me so that we don't have to live powerless lives. 
The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And I believe if you want to truly be a disciple of Jesus, an ambassador for him, then Holy Spirit empowerment is essential to this life. I can't do this on my own. I don't know about you, but I can't do this on my own. And therefore, Paul, what did he write in verse 9b? He says, we are controlled by the Spirit if we have the Spirit. He's not just living in us. The Holy Spirit is not supposed to be a passenger on your life. He says we're controlled by Him. He's supposed to be the driver of your life. But the question is, what does that look like? When I receive the Holy Spirit, what does that empowerment look like? When I receive the Holy Spirit, what happens? And I think there's some life-changing things that happens in our life, in us and through us, when we truly surrender to the Holy Spirit, when we allow ourselves to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And I cannot today cover every one of those topics under the sun. The Holy Spirit, just the um, pronouns that are used to describe him or the adjectives or whatever. Sorry, I'm not an English major. The words that's used to describe the, the Holy Spirit. There's so many of them in the Bible. So what I'm going to try to do is this morning, I want to look at six big things that I think the Holy Spirit does in our lives. I also cannot read every verse. I'm going to mention a couple. I hope you're a note taker because you will have to take some notes. I'm not going to have each on the screen. If you're not a note taker, this is your cue to bring a, um, a pad with you next week and a, and a pencil or a pen. But there's six main things that I believe that God wants to see happen in our lives because of the Holy Spirit. The first one is the Holy Spirit unites us with God. If you look back at week one, what did we say? We read that the Holy Spirit, before you even know about God, before you even decided to come to church, before you even believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit starts working in our lives. Why we read, He convicts us of our sin. He tells us, He shows us how broken we are. He shows us how we are in need of a Savior. And He draws us towards Jesus. You see, you didn't end up here by accident. You're not watching this live stream by accident. The Holy Spirit has already initiated a relationship between you and God long before you even knew about it. But the beauty of it is, He doesn't just initiate it till the point where you surrender your life to Jesus, where you experience rebirth. Jesus said we have to be born of water, of a mother's womb, but we also need to be born by the Spirit, He said in John 3. So not only do we do we experience this new life in Jesus? But there's two other things that he does. He doesn't just initiate it. But once we believe, we read in Romans 8 verse 15 to 17 that the Spirit confirms to us as believers that we've been adopted as sons and daughters of God. He doesn't just give you a new life. God adopts you. You're not an orphan anymore. You're not a seeker anymore. You're not wondering who your father is anymore. You know because he adopts you into his family. So the Holy Spirit both initiates the relationship, but then he makes you part of the family of God. But it continues beyond that point where it says in Ephesians 1 verse 13 to 14 that he seals the believer so that eternal life and the Lord's presence is guaranteed after this life. If you think of a, of a seal ring that someone would, would wear, there is an inheritance and the Holy Spirit is the marker that shows us that we have an inheritance not only in this life but in the life after this. 
I'm like, why is adoption and why is the seal so important? Let me tell you why it's important. Because a lot of people go through life with uncertainty, not just about this life, but about what's to come. And it fills us with fear. And it leaves us empty and it leaves us searching. But when we have the Holy Spirit, He not only initiates our relationship with God, He maintains our relationship with God all the way to heaven. And that fills me with a certainty. That gives me hope no matter what's happening around me. That gives me assurance that my future is secured. So you don't have to try to figure out what your relationship with God will look like all on your own. He's the initiator and is the maintainer of that relationship if you will just allow Him to do that in your life. But the second thing that the Holy Spirit does in our life is He is our bondage breaker. You see, before we come to Christ, what was His role? He points out to us the brokenness, the sin in our lives, our need for a Savior because we cannot save ourselves because we're not good enough on our own to, be before, to stand before a holy God. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop once we get to Jesus and we're like, oh, there's amazing new life. He doesn't then leave you on your own and say, okay, now that you're a Christian, go and figure out what's sin and what's not sin and what's good and what's bad. Like, go and figure it out on your own. He doesn't leave you there. We read in Titus 3 verse 5 that the Spirit comes to a soul that is dead in sin and that it creates new life in him. That is an ongoing process where he creates new life in us. Whatever you've been struggling that, with that's been a bondage that's caused you to feel like a slave in your life, whether that is addiction to alcohol, to pornography, to drugs, to sex, to whatever it might be, whether that is so, sin in your life that leaves your relationships broken. I don't know what there is in your life that makes you feel like you're living in bondage, but the Holy Spirit comes and He takes your dead soul and He brings new life into it by showing you what needs to be cut out out of your life. He breaks the chains. So you're not fighting against whatever you feel you cannot conquer, whatever you feel is that bad habit that you cannot break. You're not fighting that thing on your own. If you will allow the Holy Spirit, He will empower you to break the chains of slavery in your life. But He's also our instructor and our teacher. We read from John 14, um, and the first or the second part of this series, where we read that He reveals to us, He teaches us and He reminds us of what Jesus said. So the Holy Spirit has His role in our life to reveal the thoughts and the feelings and the purposes of God's heart. Every single day, when you have to make a decision on basic things in life, whether it's simple or complicated, He instructs us and He guides us according to what God wants for our lives. In Galatians 5, 16 to 25, you can go and read that whole piece. We read that the Holy Spirit helps us to walk according to God's ways instead of our own desires. Because a lot of what I want is not what God wants for me. But He helps us to choose God's way. You're not in this alone. In Romans 8 verse 14, the Spirit leads the believer in paths of righteousness. Not in paths of downfall and of slavery and of bondage and of sin and brokenness, but paths of righteousness. 
Said often we wish that we just had a guide in life. Often we wish that we had someone who can just point us forward. And I would say the first thing you need to do if you have that wish is pick up your Bible. Because that's also not just a simple book. It is a book that was not only inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it is also a book where he helps us to understand it and reveals God's will for us in his word. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12, he says that the Holy Spirit reveals to us the things of God that's been given to us. He shows us how the word should come alive in our own lives. So whatever you're facing, whatever you're trying to figure out what your next steps might be, trust him, he will guide you. He helps us, and this is one of my favorite ones. He helps us in prayer. I actually want to read a piece to you from the Bible. It's text from the Bible. It's not going to be on the screen. From Romans 8, verse 26 to 28. And this is so beautiful to me because it says in Romans 8, verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps me in my weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. We know we should pray, right? But I don't always know what I should pray. I don't always know what angle to take. I don't know, always know where to go with it. I don't always know if this feeling that I should pray for someone or pray for something is from me or from God. I need to trust the Holy Spirit because He says, you're not in this alone. When you're facing someone close to you that's terribly ill, when you have a situation in your life that strips the very words from your lips, He's like, you don't have to figure out how to pray on your own because He intercedes on your behalf. He knows your heart and the words you cannot express. He prays that for you. You're not in this alone. And often people is like, I want a technique on how to pray. By the way, we, we teach some of that in our, in our class after the service, Step Into Growth. So you can go there and learn a little bit more about prayer as well. But I think the mistake we want is we want a human being to teach us how to pray, to tell me this and this and this is what you should do. Well, God is saying you've got the ultimate teacher to guide you. So maybe instead of trying to find techniques on how to pray, trying to figure out if you should go longer or shorter or what you should do, maybe you should rely on Him. That He will work in your life, that He will tell you what to say next, that He will enrich your prayer life. Those moments when you feel like everything is falling apart, in those moments, not only does He intercede on your behalf, but in those moments, the Bible says that He's our comforter. The fifth one is He transforms our character. Is He doesn't just guide me every day. But there is something in my broken, sinful nature, in my character, that will never represent Jesus well. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just show us what is broken in our life. The Holy Spirit doesn't just guide us. But the Holy Spirit starts to transform us so that every day, if we listen to Him, if we follow Him, if we live in and through His power, we will start to reflect the image of Jesus a little more. 
Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23, we read that the indwelling spirit gives evidence of this new life in Jesus by producing fruit of the spirit in our lives. And let me tell you what the fruit is, and then you can tell me if this comes naturally and easily to you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If I have to make a list of the general characteristics that is so prominent in the world, it would probably be the opposite of most of this. Hatred, intolerance, war, anger, rage, lack of self-control. You see, but if we trust the Holy Spirit, we start to look different than the world because it changes us from the inside out. We start to act differently towards other people. And you don't have to struggle on your own and say like, oh man, how am I going to grow in kindness? How am I going to grow in self-control? You can go to Him and say, God, help me to grow in this area. And the Holy Spirit will empower you through His fruit to live differently. But lastly, is He empowers us for kingdom work. See, the Bible is very clear that as a Christian, you're not meant to be a consumer of a spiritual product. You're not supposed to do church hopping and go from this church and consume a little there and then this one and consume a little there and just kind of feed whatever you feel you need to feed. The church is the body of Christ that is called to change the world, to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus with the world around us that is broken, that's falling apart, that's suffering without the Holy Spirit in their lives. We're called to be ambassadors of Him. But guys, it is hard to be an ambassador of Jesus sometimes, especially the world we live in. But you know what's so beautiful? Just like a king, if he sends an ambassador or even a country today, would send stuff with him. Like, here's gifts for this king. Here's horses. Like, go in my name. Go with my power. Go with my gifts and present it to this king. You're not in this on your own. The same way, the Holy Spirit empowers us so that we can be ambassadors of God in this world. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, and then again in 4 and verse 7, and again in 11, we read that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us gifts. The spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit is not your natural talents. It is something significantly different. It is a gift that the Holy Spirit places on your life so that you can be an ambassador for Christ in a way that you cannot be on your own. And often, yes, they do link with some of your natural talents, but it's not the same. See, God's plan with the gifts of the Spirit is that ordinary people like you and me can tell the world about the extraordinary Jesus through the extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what happened in Acts 2-4. It was a bunch of ordinary guys without formal training, without all the skills and the words, but the Holy Spirit empowered them. And a guy who messed up so many times called Peter, a follower of Jesus, goes and he preaches a sermon and 3,000 people decide to follow Jesus. Let me tell you today, there's no speaker on earth that is that good to convince 3,000 people to follow him in one speech. That was the Holy Spirit that was working through Peter. And if you want to read up on, this, on the gifts of the Spirit or you want to learn more about it, our second next steps class, Step Into Place, will help you to figure out what gifts you have. But you can read about it. There's at least five 
gift lists in the Bible. The one is in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8 to 10. Then there's one in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28 to 30. One in Romans 12, verse 6 to 8. One in Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 12. Then one in 1 in 1 Peter 4, verse 10 to 11. And each of these are not exactly identical. They don't give us all the same gifts. They talk about different gifts, and some of them are, seem simple. It's like a gift of leadership or a gift of hospitality or of giving. And some of it seems really crazy and miraculous, like healing or wonders or speaking in different languages or in tongues. And there's all of these different ones, and not one of these lists are meant to be exhaustive lists, but rather suggestive of the type of work that the Spirit does. He is the ultimate gift giver. And He gifts His children supernatural abilities that glorifies God, that blesses the needy, and that edifies His church. You're not on this mission on your own. You've got backing of the King of Kings. And what is sad to me is it's easy for most of us to believe in certain workings of the Holy Spirit. No matter what that list might be on the screen, whether it's about the specific gifts or whether it is about the way He instructs us or the way that He teaches us or the way that He prays for us, there are certain things that some of us find easy, like, yes, I can believe that about the Holy Spirit, and certain things that I struggle to believe. And a lot of it, by the way, does not have anything to do with what the Bible teaches about the Spirit, but it has to do with the way we grew up. See, each of us le- reads the Bible through a certain lens. Let me tell you today, there is no one Christian church in this world that has a perfect revelation of Scripture. So we all read through a lens, and based on that lens, people make absolutes of things. And then we struggle to believe certain things and and we get judgmental of each other. But at the end of the day, I think the whole issue when we talk about the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives is that we as a westernized world have become so good at trying to control everything that without knowing it in our minds, we're trying to control the Holy Spirit. The one who raised Jesus from the dead. doesn't fit my idea of who God is, so then I explain it away. So I want to encourage you today to not limit the unlimited God. The Holy Spirit works in creative ways, and it might not be your perspective. It might not be the two or three ideas that you have about the Holy Spirit. But I want to ask you, when you pray, are you ready to be surprised? Because you don't know all the ways of the Holy Spirit and you don't know all the ways that He works through other people. So let's pray with expectation. Let's when someone talks about the Holy Spirit instead of being judgmental or believing that it cannot happen, let's rather ask the Holy Spirit to teach us. And here's one of the beautiful things. He will never contradict His Word. So you always have a measure. But also don't read the, the Word of God through such a narrow lens that you're trying to fit it into that you're missing what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach you. Remember what Jesus said. He said, the faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain, guys. We were just in in the Rockies in Alberta um, at Banff. 
those huge mountains. He said, the faith of a mustard seed, this tiny little seed, can move that mountain. So let's be ready to expect the unexpected. And if you struggle with the fact that the Holy Spirit can do things beyond your reason, I want to read something to you quickly from Tim Keller. He wrote this in the book, The Reason for God. If, by the way, if you're still struggling with faith and trying to figure out, that's a great book to read. It's The Reason um, for God from Tim Keller. But he says, We modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order. You see, we think this is natural, and when, when something supernatural happens, we think that is the suspension. That's a weird thing to happen. He says, But... Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease and hunger and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. And miracles are not just proofs that He has power, but also wonderful foretastes of what He's going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but they're also a promise to our hearts that the world we all want, a world that is perfect, the way God created it, that world is coming. But we are afraid of the uncomfortable, right? Because what if I have to trust the Holy Spirit and, and He asks me to do something uncomfortable? I believe God doesn't care too much. He's not too worried about how comfortable you are with his, the working of His Holy Spirit. So I want to challenge you to say, God, I'm not going to limit the Holy Spirit because of my fear of being uncomfortable. Josh, can you throw that for me on the screen, please? I want to submit to anything and everything the Holy Spirit wants to do through my life. And every time I've done it, He's moved me more outside of my comfort zone than before. When He moved us to Cape Town to plant the church, I was busy working in a church that we, that we loved so much. It was growing fast. And He asked us to pack everything up and move across the country to go and plant a church. And I thought, man, that's big. I'm like, that's like Peter walking on water. Like starting a church from scratch, going to a place I've never been, to the secular city. And I thought, this is so crazy that God can ask me this, but I'll go. Then almost two years ago, He asked us to move 13,000 kilometers to a country we've never been to, to a people we've never met or know, to work there. I don't want to limit the unlimited God because I'm afraid of being uncomfortable. And each time that I followed, it was a little uncomfortable. But the reward outweighs the discomfort. We have a big God. And I believe our big God, His Holy Spirit, is guiding this church in extraordinary ways. And what would happen... If each of other, each of us, not only identified what the Spirit wants to do through us, but started living that out in and as His church, we can change the world. Just as the early church did. All for His glory. Let's pray.
Jesus, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Father, that you send him to, to not just be with us, but that you send him to empower us so that we don't have to try to rise above every crisis, that we don't have to figure things out all on our own, but that we can live with the supernatural, unlimited God that is empowering us every single day. You know our hearts. You know the way that our thoughts sometimes limit you, places you in a box. And I pray, Jesus, that we would be faithful to your word, but that we would be faithful even more to your Holy Spirit, that we would listen when you speak through your word and in our lives, that we will follow boldly and obediently wherever you guide us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're at work in this church, that you're empowering us, that you're guiding us, that you're changing lives. I pray that you would continue using us, not for our glory, but for the glory of Jesus Christ. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.